LinkedIn presents. But let me tell you, you know, it's true. When things are really bad, something good is about to happen. It's because things got really bad. <laughs> um, and there was there was a moment where it was just like, dang, I ain't making no money. We working our butts off. You know, I'm probably going to have to pull back on folks hours and shift. And we're going to have to pause on this and pause on that. Like all those things were happening at one time. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And then there just became like one win led to another win that's led to another win. And between Q4 of last year and Q1 of this year, it has been amazing, like six months. But child, them six months before then. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space, Podstream Studios Times Square. This season, we are part of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy, so make sure to check out our show notes for information about our weekly newsletter and live events. In this conversation, I'm talking to Anna Deshawn. Anna is one of my most reliable friends that I have within the podcast entrepreneur community. But her current media journey actually started about 12 years ago when she started her online radio station, E3 Radio. As we talk about her journey that has now led to the creation of her podcast company, The Cube, we discuss the difficulties in finding funding for her BIPOC and LGBTQ-focused platforms, going into debt to fund future success, the importance of trusting your gut, and the value of therapy as a business owner. One interesting thing that I never realized about Anna is that on her LinkedIn profile, she lists herself as a social entrepreneur. So we start the conversation with her telling us what that means. It means I'm about being in business, but it don't mean <laughs> that I don't have a cause or a reason why I'm doing it. It's not just all about making money for me. All of the businesses I've started have some type of social justice, equity, equality lens to it. So I, when I, when I came upon the term social entrepreneur, I was like, oh, snaps, that's me. Um, <laughs> I'm stealing this from you, by the way. I'm just saying, everyone should. If you're doing some good, you know, it's sort of like, uh, what were those shoes that got real popular times, right? Times, they, they, they framed themselves as social entrepreneurs because every time you bought a shoe, right, a shoe went to someone in need. So I, I just feel like it just fits what I'm doing so perfectly. Oh, I love that. Like I said, I'm definitely going to take that. But I, I think you very much live that the embodiment of that uh, that title. And I think that's a great way to lead into, you know, you've created such incredible brands like E3 Radio and now The Cube. Tell me a little bit about that journey of what led to you creating E3 Radio in particular first and then how that then led into The Cube. 100%. I mean, there were just so many stories that were not being told. So I had the idea for E3 in undergrad because I was learning about all these amazing black women that I had never heard about before. And I was real frustrated. And I was like, what is happening here? Uh, like Ella Baker, for example, um, and, and sisters like that. And I was like, how can we fix this? I was studying radio TV production. And I was like, maybe I can create PSAs and I can syndicate these PSAs to college radio stations. And then, and then magic will happen. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, not in- <laughs> Exactly, magic. But at the heart of it, it was telling stories that I felt like folks needed to hear. And and then when I got back home to Chicago after finishing school, 
I just noticed this. There weren't people telling the stories of Black LGBTQ folks here in Chicago on what was happening with them. And it was the advent of blog talk radio. And I was like, oh, we can do this ourselves and I can interview folks. And that's how it started. I'm almost certain in 2009, I was talking to myself. Let's be very clear. And, <laughs> and, and it was a passion project. And it was just because I felt like there were some amazing things happening and there was no one servicing the community to sort of be that voice or to be that connector between maybe an end product and like the journey and telling and folks being our, have an opportunity to tell that story. So that's where E3 was born. It's gone through a lot of changes, child. It's been like 12 years. And because it was such a passion project, it only did what I could do at the time. So I produced a lot of shows over the years with a lot of different, you know, people and, it was a fun time. And then eventually I was like, we just need to have it on all day. Mm. Like the st- the station just should be on all day. And by that time, technology had come around and caught up and was like, we can do this. You can program an online station from beginning to end from your house, you know? And I was, was like, we should do that. Well, and, and <laughs> someone who came from radio myself, like, you know, I understand what it's like to have to build out a clock and have content that, you know, serves you 24-7. Was it a struggle to yeah. try to get enough content to be able to do this 24-7 uh, station? No, it wasn't. It was wild because there's music for days, right? And we were playing queer music in high rotation and we just started getting influxes of people's music. I was like, okay, well, let's just put it in rotation. People want to hear it. We can do this and then we can intersperse, you know, some top 40 stuff or some of our favorite artists. And we had done the programming like to target people who were listening. So like our 90s at 9 a.m. was like legit. It was our most popular like segment because we were a bunch of 90s kids. And, oh, yeah. And listening to 90s in the morning was making people happy. So we were playing 90s at 9 or doing like a Chicago's finest hour. And so we programmed out the station, the stuff we wanted to hear. And so it worked, but always constantly reevaluating, like how are we staying relevant? How do we remain relevant? How do we continue to uplift the ship in a world that is was forever turning on demand? It was like, I could care less if I catch you live. Like, can I listen to you when I want to listen to you? And so we really did have to think about how we were going to stay in business. And that's where really the birth of the cube came um, and the pivot into podcasting. So, yeah. Well, and before we jump into the cube, like, you know, as you're doing E3 radio and especially in the early days, yeah. Were you reaching out to family and friends to try to get them to, to check it out? And and was there also like a, a perfectionism to it of like, all right, I got to make sure it's perfect before I invite people here? Or did you just say, screw it, I'm just going to put it out there. People are either going to love it or they're going to hate it. And I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, I was like, screw it. Um, <laughs> so in the beginning, you know, it was all shows that weren't music because we were writing everything off blog talk radio. So we had like four or five shows that were going on at different days and different times that we were promoting and I was helping to produce and support. And I didn't really care. They had their own audiences, right? And we was like, we're just going to talk about what we're going to talk about. It's going to be people going to tune in or not, right? And it was fun, actually. It was really fun. And then when we transitioned to the music, it, it was partially because of my capacity, but also because I was like, it's hard to promote something that Thursday, every first and third Thursday at 7 o'clock. Like, mm. don't nobody know what that means? No. It was already hard enough. I got to do the math. Like, <laughs> like, what Thursday is this? And then, it was it's already challenging that we're online and people not understanding what that means, right? That like what dial are you on? I said we were online. I said it's online. And then like online from my car, like no, it is it's so there was already a barrier, right? And so that having to tell them what day, what week, child I was like, we just need to be on all day. 
And so, I mean, we really went through a lot of stages, but no, it wasn't about perfection in the beginning. It was like, you got something to say, you got a show, you got an idea, you got a personality, let's get you on the air. Let's just do it. And that's sort of how we got started. But let's be clear, I'm a Virgo, so that only goes so far. (laughs) (laughs) And and help me, help me understand. So what what does that mean when you say I'm a Virgo? I mean, it's a, I'm a perfectionist at my heart core. Like letting something go is almost impossible. Also, um, I could get in my own way, and and yeah, all the things that you think a Virgo is, I'm that. I can compartmentalize things to nobody's to the ends of the earth. Um, that serves no one but myself. And so <laughs> these are things I've had to like, you know, really work through in therapy. That's why I could talk about it and and, and not have any anxiety. I like it. Well, and so this pivot to the cube, you know, now, you know, jumping more into the podcasting space. Tell us a little bit more about that platform. It it was really, truly born out of the work that I was doing with E3 Radio. So E and mathematically E to the power of three. So E to the power of three, E3 is to cube something. And so I hit me in the shower when we were trying to think about a name for this thing. And I was like, that's it. And we just turned the C into a cube and make it hella queer and intersectional. We can call it the cube. And it was literally born because we needed to figure out how we were remaining relevant. Podcasting just would not go away. Very early on, I was clear I was not a podcaster. People were like, you're a podcaster? No, I have a radio show. Thank you. And we have a radio station. Thank you. You can find me at Thursdays at 2 o'clock. <laughs> you know, and I was very adamant. Now, because we're online, we always had an RSS feed. Always. I can still see the feed today in my Apple thing. It's, it's wild. It was even before we had the rainbow inside the logo. Like, the logo used to be purple and white, period. And it had, and our tagline used to be real talk, real change. Gee, if anybody could find those pictures, like that was <laughs> that was the beginning. Because at the beginning, I didn't even really want to be queer. And I, I have a very distinct, remember I, this conversation I had with a sister who does PR and marketing here in Chicago. We actually just talked recently. It was just like, we was in meeting up. She's like, Annie, you should just be queer. Like, you should just, I was like, nah, man, I'm like more than being queer, da, 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 da. She's like, but that's what the people need. I was so against the whole idea. Um, but I digress. And so <laughs> we were really thinking about how do we remain relevant? We had to go into podcasting space. And then we began to talk about like where we find a podcast and where are the black ones and where are the queer ones? And then for us, it was also like, where the black queer ones, mm. right? And we were like, well, no, like a friend has got to tell us. And <laughs> we know now the data tells us that word of mouth is like the number one way people find out about podcasts. But in our conversations, it was about, do we create an app for the radio station to be in people's pockets on the go? That, that would up listenership. And then the ideas around the podcast, well, maybe we can do both of these things together. Maybe they can play well in the same space. Maybe we can solve this problem for people um, and create a platform. And while also having people listen to the station, they can just be one and the same. So originally... It was the cube powered by E3 Radio. Like that was the branding on it. But then this thing just kind of took off and did a thing its own. And I was like, and somebody was like, what does powered by E3 Radio mean? I was like, well, I guess that's the point. It doesn't matter anymore. It's like its own own entity now. And because the need is so great. And so, yeah, it just kind of took off on its own. Well, I do want to go back uh, to what you were saying about kind of your own resistance internally to to make it you know, <laughs> something that is queer, because I've had that similar struggle with DCP. I don't want to be the BET of podcasting. Like, that is not my goal. You know, I want to put out just great content. And like I also want to just represent all these underserved communities. But at the same time, a lot of people just look at us as a black podcast company, which 
I'm not mad at, but at the same time, that's not what my intentions are. So yeah, what was your kind of mm-hmm. resistance on it? And, and I guess, was it just that conversation that helped you get over that hurdle? It wasn't just that conversation. It just became blatantly obvious that that's all I really cared about. (laughs) You had to be honest with yourself. I mean, like everybody I had on was queer. Now, they was also black, but they were queer. And um, it was like at some point, it was like, Anna, maybe this is just a queer thing. Like, and and honestly, it wasn't. And even at that time in the beginning, it wasn't just black and brown queer folks. It was really just like everybody in the LGBTQ community. I felt like it was still something good. And at some point, you just have to succumb to the fact of who you're serving <laughs> and also who you enjoy serving, right? And so at the end of the day, I was like, I just can't escape the intersection. Like, these are the stories I want to tell. Also, I just felt like there's a lot of Black people telling Black people's stories. Um, and I was like, we can do something different because of who we are intrinsically. And, and so <laughs> then it became hella queer. But also never forgetting the blackness and the brownness of it all, because for me, that's at the heart of our politic is at the heart of who we are. So I can never let that part go either. But I get you because it's also like I, I'm, I know for certain I have been in situations where we did not get funding or or we didn't win something because I'm talking about queer things. And often when I even say queer, then they forget all about the black. They're like, oh, you queer. Like. Did I not? Well, forget it. Yeah, I am. You know, <laughs> so it's also just like, I don't want that to be the only thing you focus on. So I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Well, you hit on something I really want to ask you about, which is, yeah, were there challenges, you know, trying to raise money for this? Because I know how much fundraising you have been doing and going around the country and trying to bring in money. And particularly because you focus on BIPOC and LGBTQ, you know, queer kind of uh, you know conversations and just the platform in itself being centered around that. What is that? You know, what hurdles have you had to jump over and like how how do you compartmentalize that within the process? It's just an extension of life. So I spent, you know, over a decade in corporate and I also spent six years at PWIs. I'm very comfortable navigating, you know, white spaces. And for those who don't know, PWI stands for publicly white institutions. Yeah, that 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 part. Um, And so I know how to navigate these places that are often the power resides in the hands of white folks who do not know my story do not have a clue about what i'm talking about now they they may be interested in some type of dei something or they know that they're not supposed to say something or you know not do this but at the end of it they probably are not vested in me empowering me to tell these stories out loud and so it is very challenging i also will say it's challenging to explain what it actually takes to create a high quality podcast. Mm, yeah. Like I have definitely been in a pitch competition and they asked me how much my budget was for a podcast. And I was like, we spent about 10, 12,000. I was like, honestly, that's like pennies in the bigger industry. It's like, but they were like, nah, I just do it in my basement. You don't need all of that. And I'm just like, I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody at a major company who literally said, I don't understand why podcasts cost money. To me, they cost zero dollars. I'm like, you just said that out loud? You said that out loud. You work for a major company. What? Sorry. Yes. Go on. <laughs> no, seriously. It's because of the accessibility of it all, right? There is no gatekeeper, technically, at the beginning stages of picking up a phone, creating some free podcasting account, and now your podcast is out to the world. In that way, it is very accessible and there are not gatekeepers. But just the idea that you wouldn't pay people 
for creating anything. I don't care what it is. Yep. The fact that you think that it would just be free, I think is is what we're up against. And so yeah, no, I faced it for sure. I know, I know there have been many a times I've been in spaces and I have been the best person in the space and the best storyteller in that space. But who we are and who we're looking to serve just didn't resonate with whomever was in the power, whoever had the power in that moment to make a decision. It just didn't resonate. And so we do have to be so intentional about finding people who will fund, who have funded, who may be interested. Um, They are out here. It just takes a little bit more work. Yeah. Do you find that as you're going out and fundraising that you're spending as much time or maybe even more time just educating people about the space as much as you are about your company? Oh, 100%. Also, because a lot of VCs aren't necessarily funding media organizations, Mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not something that folks looking to fund. Consumer products, you know, fashion, beauty. I come in here as a black woman. Um, even if you're not clocking me as queer, like you are putting me into some type of box of what this business I'm starting is. And so when I started talking about streaming and podcasting, they they have they don't know what to do with that because the financial mo- model is advertising. And so then they're like, how many people are you reaching? Right. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes about all of this versus the impact that we are having right and the opportunity outside of just this one place where our medium resides but all these other places social media the newsletters all these ways in which we show value um it's not how vcs traditionally see value so that also makes it challenging well, and especially as I've watched your journey in in creating the cube and funding it and getting the word out about it, like you've done a lot of public speaking, you know, speaking at festivals and doing live events on, you know, in person, but also digitally. Um, but you also kind of mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, you have anxiety, like was anxiety something you had to overcome or are you just naturally still able to just speak in front of people? So speaking is easy. Yo, speaking has always been an easy thing since I was like apolyting in my black Lutheran church on South Side Chicago. <laughs> oh, I grew up in the church too. I had to be in everything. You know? Usher, I was in the choir. I was in every play. <laughs> yeah, no, I played my saxophone. Okay, I had to read the Old Testament, the epistle lesson. You know what I'm saying? I'm up here reading King James scriptures, you know, in grammar school. So I've always actually been really comfortable speaking. That has come fairly easy. The anxiety part is the strategizing and, you know, the creative and are we making the right decisions? Um, You know, is this the right team? Am I following my gut? Are things in alignment? Are things coming easy? So uh, there is a lot of trial and error. Am I communicating? Did I forget something? Am I getting somebody? (laughs) Hmm. How many things do I have to do on my list today? Do people feel appreciated? There's just so many uh, hats that I'm wearing, I'm really grateful for people's grace because you just cannot possibly get it all right. And you get a lot of things wrong. And so that's where I have, I can hold some anxiety around this thing. Um, Because you have so much, you have to give your trust to faith, quite literally, because I just don't know what's going to happen next. I got a goal in mind. Mm -hmm. I I am on the journey. I know I'm going to do the work. But honestly, I have no idea if the person I meet tomorrow is going to be the gateway to like fast track me to the drink. You just don't yeah. know. Or be the one who sabotages you. Period. <laughs> Period. Period. And I actually just wrote about that this morning in my journal. It's so funny you bring that up. Oh, wow. I was I was literally journaling and in my gratitude part, just thanking 
God for putting people in my life who have the best of intentions and continuing to keep people away who do not. Um, because you have to trust people when they show up. Mm-hmm. Now, and you have to follow your gut. And if it feels good in this moment, you go. And then, but you don't know. <laughs> Are they going to show up? Are they going to come through? Is it going to be good? You don't. You just don't know. There's just so much you don't know. Yeah. And there's so many threads I, I want to I want to potentially pull on from what you, all the things you just said. But I think the yeah. one that really stood out to me the most was like that gut instinct. And like, how do you balance your gut versus getting advice from other folks? And but at the same time, other folks want to tell you how to do your job. But clearly you're the expert in this and this is your baby. How do you balance those two? I always struggle with that. It's hard. I do follow my gut, though. I do follow my gut because I feel like my gut is God. It's my angels. My ancestors is why I pray every morning and stay connected to spirit for me and staying grounded in that because I feel like so much happens with my gut. And when things do not go well, when things are not going well, when I'm in the midst of a storm, I actually saw on Instagram this morning um, this quote. I think he, he was a journalist and he said he was interviewing Maya Angelou and she said something like, like eventually the storm runs out of rain. Mm. Right. Something to that extent. But that's She's always good for a good quote. You know what I'm saying? She just had them bottled up in her spirit. Like, eventually the storm runs out of rain. But, like, when you're in the storm, it don't feel like it's running out of rain. No. Nope. <laughs> and and it's those moments and you're just like, I have learned to just stop and, and sit still. And, you know, and I asked God, like, what lesson am I supposed to be learning right now so I can get on with it? Because I don't need this. We just want to get to the end goal. Like, I don't need the lesson right now, but since you consider, think I do. Can I please just, I literally just sit still and and try to hear exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and what's the next move to make so that we can move on and not sitting like somebody did this to me. Somebody said this to me. Somebody did this. Someone rumor over here, email over here has nothing to do with this moment. Mm -hmm. What is the end goal in this moment? What do we need to do to get there? Let us focus on that and move through this storm and we can figure out everything later if it even matters, if it even matters. I like it. Yeah. Well, and you're somebody who, you know, whether it be your audience uh, or whether it be just, uh, you know, interpersonal with other people in business, you're great at building community, but specifically to like that business side and like building this community of support and just other folks who are, you know, maybe struggling with some of the same things or maybe people that you're trying to help elevate. Can it be difficult sometimes trying to manage that? Because I, you know, I'll speak from a personal standpoint of like some people in my, you know, friend group, sometimes they have beef and like, I don't want to be stuck in the middle of that. I want to pick sides. Like, how do you, how do you work through those things? So I'm sure that's something that a lot of people face. Confidentiality. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I promise. I, I spent, I've been affiliated with this organization, Affinity Community Services, based here in Chicago. They're doing great work um, serving Black LGBTQ folks now for 27 years, okay, as a nonprofit. Well, typically, they, like half the time they have an ED. It was all volunteer-led. The other times they have had an ED. And it's been one person, okay? And this is a community. It's in a community within another community. And it's managed to survive for 27 years. Wow. And the number one rule was, whatever happens here stays here. It's like, this is the only way that organization has been able to survive for 27 years. When you're talking about serving Black, queer people in Chicago. Okay, there's just no way it survives outside of that. And that's truly how I treat my relationships, too. Um, If you tell me something, it's going to be with me. And then I'm probably going to hear from somebody else. And I'm not going to say that I heard it already. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to play like like oftentimes people play like they want to be like this. I don't know. Seem like they know everything. I don't want people to think I know absolutely anything. Matter of fact, you can tell me whatever. I don't care. 
is this gonna help my end goal are you okay because we're all adults right yeah. like if you're for me i'm doing this and it's my full-time gig if i do not go out and work i do not eat and the last thing i need is a distraction and it's just not gonna serve my end goal it might serve them but it ain't gonna serve me and i really just try to be as honest and authentic and transparent as possible and i really do hold confidentiality to the utmost because relationships are about trust yeah. and people want to work with people they trust people want to work with people they like um and as far as i'm concerned i am freaking switzerland okay <laughs> so i'm like we are we're still small to be caring about anything else there's too many outside forces to be infighting or being concerned about somebody else's stuff like let us all what is it all tide roll boats rise whatever like <laughs> yeah there's a few analogies with boats on that one but yeah i i completely agree and i, I think you're right yeah that confident confidentiality is big um but it can still be difficult sometimes because you know you, you you care about people and you want to see the best outcomes but you can't always insert yourself so no and you also have to know yourself i, I do not overextend myself to others when i know i can't do it like i just can't I, I don't, I support how I can, right? And I show up how I can, because I know if I'm not taking care of myself or giving this organization oxygen, I won't be here to help them anyway, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. or help them navigate this moment anyway, if I'm not doing what I need to do to survive, to survive and keep this company like thriving um, in the ways in which I see it going. But no, it's, it's hard because sometimes I want to be a fixer. I'm good at that. I'm a good yeah. listener, right? I have, this is the, these are skills I've obtained and like, working with people and in leadership. Um, and so I'm good at it, and, but I have to stop and I turn it off. And I've learned that in therapy too. Like when you're building these interpersonal relationships, I leave all of that somewhere else. That is, that is for something else. <laughs> you mentioned um, affinity community services. I, I think I got that right. Um, but yeah. I know you do a lot of nonprofit work as well. Like how do you balance the nonprofit stuff as well as running multiple companies? I stopped. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> hey, that's a fair answer right there. You can only handle so much. It's only 24 hours in a day. Period. And I, I'm somebody who can manage a lot. And I became very clear, especially in leadership when I was in corporate, that I am somebody who has a high capacity for work. And oftentimes, people who have a high capacity, they expect others to have the same capacity. Mm -hmm. And I learned very quickly that that is not the case. That is not how you lead. That is not how you manage folks. Like, and so I'm clear that I can have a high capacity, but that also means I'm usually dipping in like five or 10 different pots and nothing was getting my full attention. And I knew that when I was going to quit corporate and do this full time, I wanted this to have my full attention and not live with any regrets that I didn't give it everything I had. So um, two years ago, I did. I stepped down from Affinity. Um, I was board president at the time. I, I had to step back from Dan. I stepped back from any of my other volunteer activities and just showing up where folks wanted me to show up and i had to give this everything i had and like focus on for the first time in my whole entire life focus on one thing which still is not just one thing yeah. but it is as close to one thing as i've ever been <laughs> in my entire life i can learn a lot from you there i mean, we need to talk offline about this a little bit more okay <laughs> but you, I'm but you've also mentioned uh therapy a couple of times in this conversation like is, no, do you no. find that that's something obviously from a personal standpoint that's something that you know more people are recognizing but even from a business standpoint like do you see a lot of value for that just in your business life oh my god yes yes because i can also as a virgo be highly critical 
not of myself. Um, I can think I'm not, never doing enough. Um, and just as a human being, like as someone who was raised by a Southern mama, okay, you always think about others before you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so therapy helps me to walk through that, to think, to remind myself that I have to take care of me. And therapy helps me to talk through it with somebody who is just interested in my best interest, not in everybody else's best interest. They're, they're talking to me and thinking about me and how I can navigate in the world that's going to be best for me. And it's oftentimes in life, not a lot of places you can hold space like that mm. because people will say that you are selfish and people will say that you're just thinking about you. Um, and so it's a place where I can hold that. Um, and it's something, it's not something I do every week now. Like I make an appointment when I need it, mm-hmm. but there was a time where I did and I needed it and it saved my life, you know? Um, so yeah, I think everybody needs it well, thank at you. some point. No, yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that because, yeah, it, it's something that I think it's actually come up in, in past episodes of Entrepreneur Show. What I, but, you know, I think that, yeah, we don't always think about therapy on the business side and the benefits that it can have, not only in your own work-life balance, but, yeah, just in, in how you're going to be able to elevate your company and be able to compartmentalize things. And like you said, even just work through maybe some of the, the personality traits that you have. Um, so, no, I think that, and- that's a really great way of thinking of it. And the personality traits of those you work with, mm. right? So I am responsible for paying people <laughs> every month, okay? Like, that is a big responsibility. I'm not just going out here thinking about myself. I'm thinking about those who have made a commitment to what we're building and to me, and they're believing in me to come through when it's time for them to get paid. That is a lot of pressure. Yep. Um, and that is a lot to deal with. And then there's moments when things do not work out, and you've got to shift. And you've got to let people go while still remaining in relationship with these folks. Because sometimes it is oftentimes, actually, it is not the person. It is just the situation. Right. And so learning how to navigate those as a person who is also a Virgo who does not like confrontation. I will much rather just walk away. (laughs) And and I did that a lot in my 20s. Okay, I would just walk away. You don't have to hear anything from me. Um, I'm good. And because I didn't know how to handle it or deal with it or talk with it. So, you know, all those things translate to business. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that firing thing, I literally just talked about that in the last episode, Entrepreneurial Struggle. So very fortuitous that you just brought that up because, yeah, it's it's not yeah. always a cut and dry thing. Of, oh, you suck. It's like sometimes financially to make sure that everything keeps rolling, you have to make some changes and, and it's not easy to do. And it, yes, it would be nice if I could just walk away and not have to deal with it. But when you do that, the problem still is there um, and, and right. it only gets worse usually. Much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> well, I'm definitely speaking from experience on that. Yeah, much worse. <laughs> um, as we wrap up here, I always like leaving space at the end. And, and I feel like I need to leave a lot of space because you have a lot of these. Like, I love to talk about the wins as we wrap up. And like, you've had a lot of wins recently. So I'm going to leave that open space. And if you miss anything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some too. But yeah, tell me about some of the things that are going great for you right now. Man, lots of things have been going well. You know, but let me tell you, you know, it's true. When things are really bad, something good is about to happen. It's because things got really bad. <laughs> um, and there was there was a moment where it was just like, dang, I ain't making no money. We working our butts off. You know, I'm probably going to have to pull back on folks hours and shift. And we're going to have to pause on this and pause on that. Like all those things were happening at one time. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And then there just became like one win led to another win that's led to another win. And 
between Q4 of last year and Q1 of this year, it has been amazing, like six months. But child, them six months before then. Um, Let me first pause and say, I appreciate you framing it that way. Because like, I did want to just talk about the wins, but I do like, that is a a great lifeline to throw people who who are in that moment. Like, you know, you still have to have that optimism, but yeah, you sometimes it just feels like you're in the deep end and and there's nothing on, on its way to help save you. Nothing. Okay. And that's why I do talk about faith. And that's why I do talk about trusting your own faith, that something is going to come through. Like, even if you have no faith, trusting in something greater than you is going to pull you through this moment. I don't care who it is or what it is, something, because it's really lonely. It can get really dark. Um, and you really do have to begin to navigate spaces that you maybe never thought you had to navigate. Child, I learned about a line of credit. Okay. And it saved my life. Okay. <laughs> Later, this whole business. You'd be like, how you get around all the time? And I was like, debt? What are you talking about? <laughs> and, Which you also know, means you, you have to know that something's going to pay off in the end so you can repay that debt. That's all I was saying. You have to believe in yourself so much that you don't mind going in debt. Like this is, and that there is good debt. And you begin to learn about what that means and how that manifests in the world and how people actually build these companies. I digress, but that's just part of the journey. Like you must know (laughs) the six months prior were rough, Um, but the wins, man, we just won an A&B. Congratulations. I'm so excited. Queer News. Queer News just won an A&B. It's a podcast that came out of a pivot from a morning show that I was doing on the station that wasn't bringing me joy. And we started in November, 2021. it's incredible. Since November 2021, Queer News has won an Ambi. We've won three Black Podcasting Awards. We won a Communicator Award for our series about Brittany Griner. All of that is incredible. <laughs> like I, I did not know, right? I did not know that people would be so vested in us sharing the news in the way that we're doing it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we just recently launched the beta version of the Cube. Yep. Um, at the cube.app. And that's been a long time coming. Also came out of a pivot, right? We we are still, we still want a mobile application, but I'm also very clear it costs an exponential amount of money. Mm-hmm. And we got really close. We are really close. And then it didn't work. And it was one of those moments where I was like, what is this lesson? <laughs> what is the lesson in this moment? And it, the message kept coming to me that, It costs a lot of money. What else can you do? It costs a lot of money. What else can you do from different people? And I was like, we can pivot. And so that's what we did. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Oh, Chris. Oh, we're planning a tour. So that's happening right now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're going to stop by Podstream Studios as well. Come on. Come on. We got to come to New York. Uh, and so we just landed a tour manager who was going to help with oh, wow. logistics. Super official. Okay. Come on. I know you only do things super official. I don't know why I'm acting surprised. <laughs> we got to have a manager because the details will fall through the cracks mm-hmm. for me. Right? And so it's these moments where you know you need support too. So that's a win. And uh, recent launch I, of uh, Black HIV in the South. Goodness, our first cute original. Come on, Chris. Yes. Um, what a huge win to get a licensing and distribution deal for that limited series with the urban one podcast network which just recently launched bananas it was our first cube original and our first licensing and distribution deal all in one i feel like that's hella major and also exciting so that's happening 
Oh, Chris. Yeah, lots of good things. I love it. I love lots to hear it. And it's all well-deserved. And like you said, it, it's, it comes out of a lot of hard work, a lot of hard times. And, you know, that's where I why I like to end the episodes around that, because as entrepreneurs, I think you're very much like me. You're so focused on the next thing and the things that aren't going right or the things you need to fix. You don't always take time to take a step back and celebrate it, though. I know you did take a step back and celebrate the Ambies. I, I got to see, you know, get to hear some stories on that. But no, like I don't think Double we take enough time to celebrate those wins. So I'm glad I'm glad so much is going well right now. Thank you. Thank you. And also finding this like balance and enjoying this moment. And, um, you know, it was a wonderful book. Definitely recommend The Big Leap. It's for anybody who's into who's if you're listening to this, you're an entrepreneur and you need to listen or read the big leap because he talks about upper limiting. And in these moments, we can upper limit ourselves and think that this is it. And then we do things to self-sabotage, not waking up on time, not, you know, following your routines, you know, procrastinating on some emails, procrastinating on some work because you feel like you didn't hit this moment. And then you just self-sabotage. You start over from the beginning, you know. And it is these moments I remember that and I tap into the fact that I can enjoy this moment. We can have an abundance of these moments that more money and more wars and more athletes does not equal more problems, <laughs> right? <laughs> Throwing that narrative out the way, more of this equals more joy. It can also equal more abundance. It can also equal more happiness. And um, more of this doesn't mean less of anything else. I love that. Well, thank you for that. I'm adding it to my my book list. And thank you, you know, first of all, for being, you know, on here with me for Entrepreneur Struggle, but also thank you for being part of my, you know, entrepreneur, you know, community and friend group and someone who I can bounce things off of. Like, you know, you know, I've literally called you after a meeting and been like, uh, do you know about this? Are we talking to the same company on certain things? Like, what do you know? So, no, I really appreciate, you know, your ability to, to help others. Um, and so, you know, all the success I, I love to see and, and is well deserved. Thank you so much, Chris. You're one of the first people to support. You're like, yeah, we down. Entertainment, <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, no, we're we're happy to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Anna Deshawn, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. You can learn more about Anna's work by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything Entrepreneur Struggle. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike DuBose. Thank you for the support of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Mm-hmm.